Dear Father in heaven, we are so thankful for thy provision in Jesus Christ. Dear Father, this is the song of ages, the, the glory of the cross, the, the glory of the new creation in Christ Jesus, that thou hast done a work even more marvelous than the first creation, even more stupendous, to redeem fallen man. Dear Father, we will praise thee for this in eternity as we discover more and more of who thou art, as was said this morning, dear Father, and we desire even now at this, this moment to learn more of thee. We desire greatly that those who don't know thee by faith, dear Father, that they could learn of thee, that they could sing that song we just sang all the way through to verse four and say, none of self and all of thee, and so experience the new birth. Dear Father, we know that this is an operation of thee, and it's not of man. And we know it is also through the hearing of the word, the, the foolishness of preaching, through the, the reading of thy word, through faith. So dear Father, it is with fear and with trembling that we approach this time, not with casualness or just another Sunday afternoon, dear Father, but this is thy holy word, the incorruptible seed, which when taken in faith, lives and abides forever. So dear Father, we are so thankful and we ask, please bless us, pour out of thy Holy Spirit this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to continue in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, but focusing more on the, the latter half of the chapter this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 10. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I've read to the end of chapter 5. May God bless the reading of his word. Where to start? <laughs> Last time we meditated on this passage, uh, I focused on the first half of the chapter, which spoke of our earthly tabernacle and, and that uh, we, we long for heaven. And that thought, that, that comfort that Paul was taking in that thought led him to meditate then upon the judgment seat of Christ, that this is the, uh, the inevitable thing too. As inevitable as death is, the judgment. And from that, he turned around and, and kind of comes full circle now to the whole reason and motivation for his ministry, why he is doing what he is doing. Remember, the, one of the themes, the big themes of this, this letter to the Corinthians is to defend his apostleship, why he's doing what he's doing. I often you know, wonder what Paul was like in terms of his demeanor or in terms of his interactions with others. But I do get a sense from this letter and from those other in Acts where he's standing before Festus and Agrippa, I do get a sense that Paul was unusual. In, it's, it's clear from the, from the word of God, his passion, his zeal for this thing this ministry of reconciliation that, that drove him and fueled him. And um, I think he was accused by those that opposed him in Corinth of not being quite with it, of, 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 of being a little loony, a little bit outside what was expected. He says here, for whether we be beside ourselves, and that's, that's a term for, for mad or crazy, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. And I think some maybe had even accused him of that, that you're not quite normal. This is, uh, this is what Festus says in Acts 26. He says, Paul, thou art mad. After Paul had, had um, explained what he was doing, And how he, his, his mission was to the Gentiles, how he was specifically given that task uh, on the road to Damascus, how Christ spoke to him and said um, how he would but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes 
and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. As he spoke this way, he says, uh, um, that Christ should suffer, he should be the first to rise from the dead, should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, you know, of why he was doing this, why he was in this situation, why he was standing before um, these, these rulers now, and he was uh, um, in, in, in uh, captivity. As he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Same words here. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. The thing that fueled Paul, the thing that made him pare away everything extraneous, all the, the stuff that was of no consequence that he counted as dung, was this ministry of reconciliation, this great word of the gospel, of, of, of that God has, uh, has, is offering, is present tense offering now to everyone reconciliation with himself and uh, the promise of new life, a new creation. This is what, what fueled Paul and what caused those in Corinth that, that wanted a certain lifestyle, wanted a certain way of doing things to oppose Paul and to say, no, this is too much. You're, you're, um, you're, you're, uh, you're asking too much of us, basically, I think. And that was the accusation. And he said, no, I, I, am, I am doing this for God. And, and it's not that Paul just kind of put himself on a pedestal or, or put himself as a separate example, as I'm a special case. Yes, he was a special vessel of, of God. But at the same time, as he did these things, as he spoke of these things, of his, as he spake of himself, he was laying himself as a pattern. This is the same type of thing that you now that follow after me, that join in this ministry, that are part of this new creation, you're supposed to have the same motivation, the same drive, the same desire, be called to the same, uh, um, the same high and heavenly calling. Because if we are really changed, if we are really made new in Christ, this will happen. The love of God will constrain us. You know, if we really understand the message of the gospel, how complete and total it is, how, much, how revolutionary it is, how much it crosses all of the lines, breaks down all of the barriers, it will change us. It will not only change us, it will make us a new creation, a new creature. You know, I struggled with this for years, and I think there are many of you that are still struggling with this concept. This, what does it mean to seek the Lord? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to be changed? And I struggled with that for years. Not really getting anywhere, actually going the, the opposite direction from which I wanted to go, getting worse, becoming more miserable. 
you know, as I could objectively look at my life and say, I am more miserable than I was a year ago. I'm worse off than the last time I thought I was close. <laughs> and it really did come down for me to, and for everyone, this, this is the language, this is what he talks about here, to an operation of God, something that God does. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He didn't create, recreate himself. He didn't, didn't um, um, reform himself. He becomes, he becomes a new creation. This really is an operation of God. And it wasn't until that happened in my life. Someone's like, it happened, and then I realized it. When I could look back over the course of a couple days, a week, a couple weeks, and say, I'm walking by faith. What I struggled with before is not a struggle. The, the condemnation I felt before, the misery I felt before, it's been lifted. This is an operation of God. It's something that I didn't do. He made me new. He changed me. And it was from the simplest and from the littlest of things, the, the, the smallest steps of faith, the simple acceptance of this, this word of reconciliation that God has done what he said in Christ. As simple as that. I accepted that in faith. And, and I couldn't add anything to that. I couldn't do. There was nothing I could do to make myself right with, with, with God. That the change happened for me and the change occurred. So my friend outside of Christ, do not settle for anything less. Do not convince yourself or talk yourself into anything less than that. An operation of God. It is, it is an operation by faith in him that God does and confirms in your heart, where you can say, it's not, I didn't reform myself to a certain point, he has made me a new creature, a new creation. Now, my brother and sister, this is a word of a promise to you, a word of hope too. This isn't, when we read this, God, you know, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. That's not a, a word just for conversion, a promise just for conversion. It's, it's, it's a, a, a word and a promise of discovery as we walk in Christ, as we become more conformed to him, as we realize that, yes, everything has become new. All of my relationships, everything is transformed. I, I think and look at everything in a different way than I did before. And when I forget that, and I can forget that, I can get sidetracked from this new life in Christ, when I forget to put on the new man who I've cre been created to be, uh, yeah, then things become a little old and a little shabby, and uh, I get dusty and stained. And I have to go back to this word that, no, by faith I have been created a new creature. This is by faith. This promise is for me. It's not a, something I just mark in a history book I was baptized at a certain date, and now it kind of recedes further and further and further in the rearview mirror and as an event that happened in the past in my life. This is something that is happening now, that, that, that God is creating in me through my will and my choices, transformed will. This is an amazing promise, this ministry of reconciliation. You know, it's, it's not a, 
God did something up in heaven or he did something 2,000 years ago and it's kind of removed, you know, it's something that was put, just put in the history books and, it's, and, and, and um, that's it. This is something he is... Uh, something he's doing... God did the work of reconciliation, but now is extending the ministry of reconciliation. It's ongoing. You have to accept, you have to come and experience and be part of this and, and be reconciled. It's no good if, if you have two parties and one's uh, um, done all the work to, to repair the relationship, but the other one wants nothing to do, has nothing to do with, the, with, with that work of reconciliation. If, you know, then you can't really say they're reconciled, right? No, it's that other party has to come and realize all that's been done, partake take in and it starts with just accepting this that God made Christ to be sin for us Christ who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him that we might be made right that we may be made uh, no condemnation to accept this by faith this is the start of the new birth of, of the new um, there is a struggle in repentance. I was recently reading through the, the little pamphlet that was written in the 20s, I think, um, a long time ago, almost 100 years ago, by a, a brother, uh, Ben Summer, I think, that ye must be born again. And, and he lays it out clear. There is a struggle. There is a, 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 the Romans 7 that... that and, and the whole purpose of the struggle, you know, it, it's, it, it's made longer or made shorter just by the fact of getting us to the point of realizing we cannot do any of this, that we cannot fulfill the righteousness of the law. We can't be good enough. That's the whole purpose of that struggle, that Romans 7 struggle, the, the, the being brought, being made more miserable the, the more we find out about God's word and, and who he is and his holiness. That's the whole purpose of that struggle, to get us to that point of reconciliation, of realizing what God has done in Christ. When that is truly realized, when that love that was poured out in, in, by God in Christ is, is accepted, held on to as the thing, as the only thing worth holding on to, then a transformation, then a change happens. And then it, it, that love motivates us. The love of God, of Christ, constraineth us. And this is, this is where Paul kind of gets to the whole reason he's doing what he's doing. He realized who Christ was, what he'd done, and that realization, Christ died for all. You know, if he died for all, verse 15, Sorry, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, if Christ, if we believe that, the de that, that what Christ did on the cross is applicable to all mankind, the flip side of that is, well, all, all mankind needed it. All mankind was dead. All mankind is in bondage. This is the, not what, the full reform uh, theology teaches. It teaches, well, the, the, the Christ's death is limited. The atonement is limited. It's just, he died just for those that are saved. And that's not what this says. We thus judge that if one died for all, he truly died for all mankind because everyone 
was dead, and those who haven't come to him are still dead. And what does that prompt in me now? It, it prompts love. I really ought to have a, a, an overwhelming sense of love and concern for those that are dead. That I want to do whatever I can to tell them about this ministry, to live out this ministry of reconciliation. That there is a way back, there's a way to be alive. That's why Christ died. We thus judge if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Okay, now this, this reconciliation, this, 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 this offering of life is a life that is lived to Christ. Live not unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's what this new creature in Christ is. He is a person that lives for Christ. Because Christ lives in him. It's the beauty of the, of, of the, the, the scripture language. He is a new creature because Christ is living in him. Galatians 2. Nevertheless, how does it go? One of my favorite passages. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the, the, the transforming power of the cross in all of this? that it always comes back to the love of God, what he did for us, how central this ministry of reconciliation is. Just look at what we sing about. Look at what, what is in our hymnals, what the subject of our, our meditations, our prayers, our thoughts. It all comes back to this, this work of reconciliation of what God has done in Christ, this great outpouring of love. And that's really the ultimate thing, you know, some people point to this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 and, and really get into trying to define um, the nature of the atonement and, and what, um, what God exactly did in Christ. Is it penal substitution? Is it, uh, I don't know, I can't even name all the different um, theories. From my limited reading of the commentaries and, and the, the thoughts, the thinking of those uh, not in the Bible, it all comes down to the bottom line of love. All of these are different ways of, of, of understanding and expressing God's great love in Christ Jesus in that work that he did at the cross for you. You, know, you, you may try to understand, well, how did the transaction work? How did, how did God in that moment, uh, um, he was separated from his son, and yet um, uh, Christ is still God? I can't explain it. This is uh, something that, Others have, have, have expressed far better than I could. But it all comes back to that, that love. That's, if, if, if you understand everything from a theological or, or, or a mental perspective, you, you, you think you, you um, can understand what God was doing, but you don't grasp that and feel that and know that as God's love to you, it doesn't really transform you, it doesn't really change you this new creature in Christ is not formed in you. It is amazing, however you express it, that Christ is a victor over death, or that he, the, 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 not or, and that God laid the sins of the world on him, 
the wrath of God was poured out on him. All those things are true. I believe there's all scriptural basis for all of those things. They, they express them, but it all points to that one salient, most important fact that God so loved the world. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Beseech, plead. God is pleading. This is the nature of God's love. You heard it at the, the funeral uh, yesterday in the eulogy, that pursuing love. The, the doing what is good for us, what we need the most. This is what we needed the most, the death of Christ. Nothing else would satisfy God's righteousness in our need. The death of Christ is pouring out of his blood and his resurrection. And now we're pleading with you. Be reconciled to God. This is simple. It is by faith. All those years I heard this message growing up in church and struggled and, and would feel a certain way on Sunday and then go back down to a certain way on midweek. It was to get to that point to realize the great love of, of, of God in Christ. I don't know how else to ex explain it. I'm a poor representative, a poor Ambassador, but I am an ambassador on the Lord's behalf. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Unquestionably an operation of God and yet also a choice, a response. One of my favorite hymns in the Gospel Hymn 653, I'd like to read that in closing. You can follow along if you want. This captures to me the response, the beginning of the new creature who walks in the newness of life. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. I can no longer fear. Oops, sorry. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. This is the, the cry of the newborn in Christ. It's the cry of the one who's walked many years in Christ. It's the same cry. Father, Abba, Father. It's the cry of the, of the Son. My prayer is that everyone here 
would have this heartfelt cry to Father, looking to what has been done on the cross through Christ Jesus. To whose name be glory and honor forevermore. We conclude this service.